You are listening to episode 231 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we struggle in silence in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week we're talking a little bit about Tenchu Z on the Xbox 360 for our inflation deflation segment of the week. Uh, however, we are also joined by Barry of Premium Edition Games. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, no problem, dude. Uh, so we we looked on, and Barry has technically been with us for seven ep- this seven episodes, right? Yep, this is seven. Yeah, we might as well just have you as a regular. Just have yeah, you, exactly. well, you are a regular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Game Deflators with Barry Carenza. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, we're happy to have you on again. We're going to be talking uh, the most recent Premium Edition games direct. Uh, so that'd be pretty cool. Uh, but first, you can find us on thegamedeflators.com, our out-of-date website. You can find us on YouTube where we are posting shorts. We've got videos. I love how Barry's laughing at the out-of-date website. Uh, it definitely is, dude. And we're just going to keep it that way. Um we pretty much just have our RSS feed goes in there. You can download and you can check out some old pictures. <laughs> we got a uh, Facebook and Instagram at the game deflators. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at game deflators. And of course the podcast application you are listening to right now, uh, you can leave us a five-star review and uh, go to another podcast app. If you're not on there and leave another five-star review, we definitely appreciate it. Barry, do you want to let the people know for me now seventh time where you are located? <laughs> sure uh you can find me on twitter at hawk hellfire uh please feel free to send me a message love talking video games and you could find me both at nintendofuse.com and youtube.com slash nintendofuse as well as premiumeditiongames.com and at premium edition one on twitter and premium edition games everywhere else thank you sir and a quick question so to seven times is that only as premium edition games because i think you've come on as nintendo fuse as well uh i believe once was nintendo fuse so this know. is number eight then technically no no seven total oh seven total okay all right all right you got a running list of every podcast I, I that do. you're on yeah i gotcha I he's a busy man yes <laughs> barry's, barry's done more podcasts than any of us <laughs> uh, i let's just this just this week since we announced it because we did the thing on wednesday one wednesday two thursdays one friday one saturday and now today <laughs> busy yeah, man yeah busy he's man. he's definitely done more podcast episodes than us uh all right so let's talk our recent pickups so i only had one i picked up kirby and the rainbow curse so i got that on the wii u the other day i got a pretty good deal on it so it was it was worth picking it up uh primarily based on that and it's funny when you when you see these advertised online by the way you have people that say oh it's complete in box and other people say uh oh it's missing the slip <laughs> the slip is literally the white nintendo slip so <laughs> what is complete in box but like it doesn't matter if you get complete in box or if you get you know disc in case only because you're really missing out on a little white paper slip that says instructions on disc so uh they don't even you know, put that like memo square in there anymore do they where you could just like write a note to yourself no down passwords I, or whatever not that i'm aware of now premium does uh i know in our copy of uh rain on your parade that we got and reviewed mm-hmm. last week there is memos in the back which is a nice little uh little add-on that's uh, about we we really called that out actually <laughs> we we actually show that to to you know any 
developer we're talking with that hasn't heard of us before. And, and we show that at, at conventions to people who haven't heard of us just because it's, it's part of our childhood, right? All the yeah. NES manuals had that, you know, all the Game Boy manuals and Super Nintendo, they all had that. So, you know, I never used it because I never wanted to damage my copy, but I picked up used games with passwords written in there and little hints yeah. in there. So we wanted to include it for nostalgia. And if you happen to want to use it, it's there. My favorite is when you pick up a used copy of a Mortal Kombat game and there's always like a loose leaf piece of paper that has all the fatalities written mm-hmm. out. I'm like, oh, somebody did the work and I don't have to Google now. So it's it's good stuff. Uh, but yeah, that was my only pickup this week. Uh, Ryan, how about yourself? You're not going to tell us what you're playing first? Uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess I could tell you that. Uh, forgetting our own flow, right? So uh, Cardia, the world of fate. Uh, I am still playing that. Uh, so Barry, I think I started it when you came on a while back as our new games resolution and uh cardia it's pretty good i'm on chapter five of the second story now so the way it's laid out and i think i mentioned this last week it's based on two novels technically and i'm starting to get more of a feel for like why there's no towns and all this other stuff because the way it is broken out it's two stories so it's almost like playing a visual or you know a visual novel in a sense um but just ps1 tactical rpg base as your as your main in between all the visual novel parts yeah and what's funny is i've always said i'll never play a visual novel because i just can't stand them and yet here i am i got stuck with that being my new game's resolution because i didn't think anything of it uh so the first story is pretty good um you know with uh with lacrima and going through all of that so i discussed that last week the second story follows toxa uh this you know just kind of lone knight who's going around and, and helping out these groups um you know, in this world. And I'm actually preferring Toxa's story a bit more. Like while, while Lacrimos was decent, the Toxa story is really filling in all of these gaps that you didn't know about. And I think that's kind of the big part, right? Is like you play these two stories to understand the full story as a whole. Uh, Barry had mentioned last week on our podcast that I really wish that they just would have, the developers would just combine it from the get-go and just flashed you in between versus like, bang out 17 hours of this one story and then okay you're cool now we're going to start you from level one bang out another 17 hours on this other story as you know your second playthrough and you have to do it because otherwise you're not going to know anything that's going on on the back end like i got the story the first go around but i only got one part of it and now that that secondary parts come in I'm like oh okay that makes sense oh that's how they knew about this person coming into attack that's how they knew that these people were invading this location before it even happened like you get all of those things that they really don't cover in the very beginning so and you can uh, like choose either path from the beginning so it like gives you all the tutorial stuff over again like you're starting like you never played yep pretty much so it's uh it's interesting but i I'm getting a better feel. For, well, I, I've already got a better feel for it, right? The combat was easy to kind of grasp uh, towards the end of a game. I, I got a better feel for combat. And now that I'm replaying, I'm like, I'm on chapter five already. And honestly, it would have taken me a lot longer um, if I hadn't known anything about it, right? I'd probably be on chapter two because uh, each chapter is honestly about an hour to play through, like between dialogue mm-hmm. and the actual battle. Once you finish chapter, you're one hour in. So the whole idea of like, oh, it's 34 hours of gameplay is definitely true because you're 17 hours 17 hours there's 18 yeah. chapters total um with one of those chapters being pure dialogue with no battle so it it goes through with like 10 15 minutes so it's 
So it's an interesting. Is this one. converting you to give visual novels a shot? Because I absolutely get a list not. Of great visual novels that are absolutely worth it. Absolutely I think this not. is just one no. of those uh, games that you got to just like grind through. Kind of like I was never able to bring myself, and I. I'm not saying Persona is a bad game. Persona 4 is a very great game, and millions of people love it. I love it myself, but just like at 12 hours in, I was I made one mistake, and I was like, I just can't see myself doing this for 90 more hours at this <laughs> point in time. So you stretch that shit out the entire year to be like, oh, I just haven't played Persona this week. I haven't played Persona, when you could have just picked a new game? Yeah, well, you know what? I wanted to do it i didn't do it you know what it's okay it didn't happen barry this man this man stretched it out for an entire year he played like 12 hours i'm gonna finish pikmin for sure and probably (laughs) soon because it's eight hours long yeah i know i've only got like six (laughs) hours left (laughs) did you see what i deal with barry (laughs) i i I would expect nothing less from ryan um So, so yeah visual novel wise though i'm i'm really not gonna get interested in them it's i mean i understand the concept i get it but i just can't get into a man like the whole like two characters on screen just talking in most of them right i know they're not all like that but like the the bulk of what i see is like the characters on screen the dialogue comes up and i'm just like ah. and sometimes it's like the japanese ones are very good but there's no english dialogue so i'm like reading subtitles I'm like man I could just watch an anime and get as much enjoyment. <laughs> so. I want to play some. I want to play like Danganronpa. Danganronpa is great. Um, Zero Escape Trilogy is phenomenal. Uh, those are two I highly recommend. Uh, and then there's those other ones that are uh, one one that took me by storm. I couldn't I couldn't put it down, and it was very simple. But the story was so captivating. It was Raging Loop. It's on the PS4 and then Switch, and it just gets you. Um, the AI games, uh, Somnium Files, and uh, and I knew it. Initiative. I knew I had visual novels lurking in my collection, and AI. So um, the AI game is one of those. There's two of them, and they're yeah. both phenomenal games. That one's in my collection. But I see, didn't know it was visual novels. Visual novels, but they have other things to it. So like AI is visual novel. You get to go to different places and talk because you're you're a cop. You're investigating, but. The cool thing about AI is when you catch a perp, for example, and, you know, in real life, it's like, oh, what do you know about the crime scene? You know, and they're like, oh, nothing. I'm not there. You know, I like I want my lawyer in this. You kind of get to put him in a machine and go into their subconscious. Mm-hmm. And now you are actually walking around. You're walking around in their subconscious trying to trigger memories and take away mental locks to get the truth of the situation. And you only have so much time to do it. And every action costs you time. So you're constantly going between a visual novel and this this internal psychological mental gameplay so so to the so to the moon meets the american police force and their policies i guess pretty pretty much yeah yeah okay It's, it's awesome and and it's one of those games that when you beat ai completely because it's it's as a the tree system so you're going to get multiple different endings but when you get the true ending it's one of those holy crap, I never saw that coming in a million years. Dang. That was amazing, like mind-blown moments that's going to make you want to do the sequel. And this is that's the same guy who did the Zero Escape games and the same thing. Like, okay. I'll, you know, it's, I, if you like mind-blowing moments. I will give that one a chance. What's the game? Mainly because I already bought it, AI. AI, uh, so, Somnium. So 
Yeah, Somnium, Somnium Files. Files is the first one, and then the Nirvana Initiative is the second one. Yeah, I will I give like, that I one a chance. I definitely need to know the name because in today's day and age, you can't just Google AI and expect to get <laughs> <laughs> any kind of filtered result. Yeah, it's uh, just phenomenal. So Barry, for you, I will attempt that game after I beat Stray and after I beat Rain on Your Parade. Oh, it's like a newer game. I thought it was like an older game. Well, Nirvana Initiative just came out last year. Yeah, uh, the Somnium other one Files was a few years ago. A few years ago. Yeah. But but it's the same developer from Zero Escape. Mm. And uh, and like one of the cool things that they actually did in Nirvana Initiative, and this is I won't say it's a spoiler, but it's just kind of like an homage is that you get points. Then you could use those points to buy, um, you know, like concept art and stuff like that. And one of the things you could do is you could actually purchase a special thing after you beat the game of Nirvana Initiative for 999 points. And it's literally the very beginning of 999, the first Zero Escape game, but with the characters from AI in it instead. <laughs> it's like really cool crossing the path. And and, and the, if you've never heard of the Zero Escape games, 999, Virtue Last Reward, and Zero Time Dilemma, you're honestly doing yourself a disservice by not trying these games. They also came out as the Nonary Files as a collection of the first two games on PlayStation, Vita, and PS4. And those are escape room visual novels. Those are you go into a room and you got to figure it out. You're walking around in 3D, figure you know, picking up different parts, all puzzles to get out of the room, mm. uh, while trying to solve the mystery of where you are. And uh, you also can vote. Some of the games involve the you know voting on who you want to kind of eliminate. <laughs> so there's murder involved, and and it's very adult, but it's a lot of fun. So I highly, highly recommend those games. Just like Dankenrampa. Dankenrampa is also uh, Phoenix Wright, another one. You know, yeah, Dankenrampa is actually my collection too. All these visual novels, yeah, they, they're they're in there. Dankenrampa is all murder mysteries. It's all trying to figure out the crime, and then you go into like a courtroom kind of deal, and you have to figure out who the culprit is because the culprit is one of the people there. And they're great. You know what I think it is, is over time I have, because I like to collect RPGs and I think over time, because some of those are noted as RPGs and I don't necessarily dive in as like, oh, let me see exactly what the gameplay is of this RPG. It's more so does it have good reviews and is it an well, RPG? And then you pick it up and it turns into a visual novel. Since you've started collecting, I would say that RPG elements have invaded like almost every, every genre, like car RPGs. Like shmups think, are all part RPG yep. now. Did you Shooters say, are all half RPG. Did you say car PG? Yeah, car PGs. As in like car RPGs? Yeah, yeah. Like where like like in cars? Forza you like get cars and stuff, but there's like other ones where it's like you start off and you're like crappy little Nissan and you drive your way up and buy upgrades and eventually by the end of the game you get like uh supercars and stuff, but you don't start off that way. Oh. Okay. I mean, anything so, that has stats that you manage and go up over time is basically like some type of RPG, right? Mm -hmm. So the game deflators is an RPG then because our stats have gone up over time. And yeah, yeah dude, we're okay. a level five uh, wizard. Yeah. Didn't I tell you? No, you didn't. Okay. That's good. No, uh, Ryan, since you called me out on uh, not my currently playing Barry, you're next. <laughs> so uh, currently playing, I'm playing uh, Altelier Ryza three. I just did the first two. Uh, I hadn't done the series before, speaking of RPGs, and I wanted to give it a shot after I saw the trailer for the third game because it looked incredible. And I'm so glad I got into the series. Uh, the Rise of Games are so much fun. 
Uh, the first one is probably the most jank of them, but it's very impactful in terms of story. And these are crafting RPGs where you can make so many different things. You could, you know, you, you're having problems. You can, you could upgrade gear. You can make better gear. You can give it like full stats, weapons, same thing. But you also have to craft to solve problems either for people like in Quest, but also for story. And the story involves other dimensions. It involves history. It involves ruins. Uh, you know, just it's it's amazing what they did. Like the first game is isolated to like this one area. Uh, the second game takes you off from your isolated island to the capital. And then the third game actually brings you back to the isolated area. And I was like, oh, this is cool seeing it in more like a higher definition. And it's, it's open world in the third game. And like there's all these callbacks to the first game, especially like, oh, remember this little flashback scenes uh, and new areas to explore. And I was like, this is great. You know, like I love walking around this world. And then all of a sudden, like this new person comes and like, oh, yeah, we're from another country. Uh, never been talked about before. And like, oh, can we go there? I'm like, wait, what? Like, I thought the whole game was going to be like the first map. No, now we're in a whole new world map to explore that's open world as well. I'm like, this game is huge. So it's nice. a lot of fun. Uh, I'm hoping to finish it before Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, that's my goal. But it, it is a great cast of characters, great turn-based combat. It's actually, it's more like, it's not even like turn-based. It's more like the ATB system of Grandia and Final Fantasy, where the characters will automatically act, the enemies will automatically attack. Uh, and you can pull off some really cool combos. And I like the item system. Like so many games, you know, you have like 10 high potions. You use one, you're down to nine. In this game, you get what is a CC. So the more, every time you do like special attacks, you gain CC. And at any time... Even if it's not your turn for the penalty of a delay, you can stop the game completely, pull up the item menu, and use your items. Um, but they're non-consumable, so mm. you can make you can just spend your time crafting like the ultimate potion. And as long as you have the CC, because it may cost three CC, you can keep using it 18 times a battle. Uh, there's no worry about it. So it's not like I made this great potion, but I want to save it for the end boss. You could utilize it as long as you keep attacking. And I love Very that cool. system. Yeah, it's, it's great. It takes away all the anxiety of using items for me. Nice. I know. How many times have we all played a game and it's like, good thing I've got all these max potions and super elixirs for the final boss and then still didn't use them? Yeah. <laughs> or you use one and you have anxiety. Like, well, I'm only going to go down to 98. I guess that's okay. I guess I should still have enough. <laughs> oh, man. Shades of PS1 Final Fantasies. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's it's a really great game, and, and nice. definitely it's a long running series. Um, but if you haven't played them, I do recommend them, yeah. and I do recommend starting from one because they are all very connected. Nice. And what about recent pickups this week? Uh, so don't you uh, know everything that came out for the Switch? Everything that came out on Switch <laughs> for, this, yeah. for the Switch stuff, yeah. But I, I'm still going from like what I call the museum pieces, the stuff that I. You know, I, I hunt for the, the stuff that I think is more interesting than just, oh, they came out for Switch. Uh, so I did get two this week. Uh, one, not really truly a video game, but just something I really thought was neat. Uh, I got a digital camera called the uh, Digio. And what makes this really unique is that it was made by Sega. Now, only in Japan. It was a Sega-made digital camera. So I'm like, all right, that's kind of cool. Like, it's quirky. It's cool. It, it could be video game related. You just got to find the nearest haunted house in New Jersey and make it fatal frame. <laughs> I, I could, Interesting. yeah. There but, you go. Uh, 
But yeah, it's it a cool-looking camera. Yeah, it is. It's a very cool-looking camera. It's only released in Japan. But again, I, Sega made a digital camera like that's so out there. So I'm like, and I it's got the logo up. like hot on the front of it too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I gotta pick this up. It's just a quirky thing to grab. And then another thing. Speaking of Sega, um, a lot of people know about the Sega Pico. It came out here in America. It was their, you know, their early system in terms of for early age. It was a child system well before like Leapfrog was doing it. But a lot of people don't realize that there was actually a console war for the early education market. And Sega wound up winning that war with the Pico. But their competitor was not Nintendo, was not Sony, was not Microsoft was not even Atari, but it was Konami. Konami actually had a console prior to called the Pikno that was the is very similar to the uh, the Pico and it came out prior and when the Pico came out from Sega mm. it to combat it Konami made a Pikno 2 which was pretty much the same thing but with cheaper components to lower the price on it. Um, and it still lost the war. There was only like 23 games, I think, released for the Pikno. But uh, I had I had the first version, but I finally found a, a Pikno 2 CIB. Uh, also only in Japan. So I'm like, all right, let me grab that. So that came in uh, this past week. And it's, again, it's it's not something I'm planning to play, but I love the history of that. It's a console war no one really talks about or many people don't even know about. And it's nice to be able to put both consoles next to each other to, uh, to talk about it. Is nice. that this one with like the... like? Rugrats looking background and like the two chibi characters on the box. Pickno two. Yeah. Oh, that's great box. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan's like, I need one. Well, he said he got it CIB, and the box is what you're paying for, man. Yeah. Uh, the the box is what you're paying for. It is. It is yeah. absolutely oh, wow. uh, a crazy, crazy thing. And it's, again, it's Konami. It's not even like an like an off shoot Chinese company. It's Konami. It's it's a major player. Those and this are some was, awesome picks. Yeah. So, so I managed to get those in. I would laugh if Konami did an April Fool's Day joke of releasing the Pikno 3. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Konami even remembers that exists. Right? That's <laughs> lost to their, their time. <laughs> All right, Ryan, what uh, do you have in store for us this week? Uh, so not a whole lot. Um, Game Pass is getting a couple things. So I think Minecraft legends comes out today on there or maybe tomorrow so i'll probably be checking that out a couple people i like put out some reviews and said that that was really good actually and surprisingly different than what you would expect Uh, and then along those same kind of lines i got loop hero on uh game pass and i had heard a lot about that before i figured it would probably come to something like this eventually so i just kind of hung around and waited but it's a pretty fun little um, title. The concept is you are like a little hero and you are walking along a looped path. Uh, enemies spawn on the path. When you run into enemies, it just goes into a you fighting them uh, every like second or however quick your attack speed is. You don't directly interact with combat at all. Uh, but after each battle, you will get like either some gear or a card uh you equip the gear you've got like gear slots like any normal adventurer and then the cards you lay down tiles on the map some of the tiles go directly on the path and spawn new enemies some of the tiles go around the loop path to build up the larger world around it 
and a map, or maybe we'll spawn a treasure, or maybe we'll be like a cemetery that'll spawn a skeleton every couple of days. You just keep going around the loop, uh, fighting enemies, getting loot, uh, equipping new items. You have to manage your inventory because when you equip like a weapon or a shield or an armor or whatever it is, uh, you only have like 12 inventory slots and you get those automatically from killing enemies. Once you equip a new item, the old one is gone. So it just overwrites whatever your equipment is. So you kind of get into this loop where you have to fight enemies until you get a next comparable gear slot, equip all of the lesser versions of that to get them out of your inventory, and then end up finally equipping the one that's the most comparable to what you were wearing before or an improvement. So you're managing your inventory, you're making the map harder by making more enemies spawn on it, and everything just kind of happens passively. It's not like a hugely interactive game, but um, you build up resources after each map, and those go to another screen where you slowly build up, you know, longer term resources at a camp that you take with you into these loops. So I've been doing that, like, I don't know, I think I spent like an hour maybe an hour and a half on it. I did like two or three loops got to like, kind of like a first like boss. It's all very meta narrative too. like your hero, like lost his time and his reality. And there's this skeletal necromancer who has like isolated all memories and things of reality and all individual items to different pocket dimensions. So like you're literally just in this void building the world from memories as they come to you through these encounters and stuff. So it's uh, it's got a lot of interesting stuff to it. And I, I find it interesting so far, and I see why a lot of people really liked it. Very nice. And, and obviously no progress on Pikmin, right? No, no, I got like six more hours of that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think I need to get back to that uh, and get that done soon. Uh, just so you stop bothering me about it. And then I've just been too afraid to go back to Brave Fencer Masashi to see if like I'm really screwed myself with the like autosave functionality or if <laughs> or if it's manageable. Yeah, I'll start that one soon. And then, you know, hopefully we get to the point where you got stuck at with the autosave and then I can pick it up. Uh, but uh, let's go ahead and get to our discussion topic. So I'm going to turn it over to Frankenberry to talk about premium edition games. Oh, I love that joke. I laugh so hard. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah we uh it's a, an internal thing that jeff likes to oh it's external whenever, now <laughs> whenever whenever we're in the same you know vicinity uh yeah good old yeah, it, it's out there man it's on youtube now it's it is <laughs> it's now on the game to flaters podcast like you, you guys are people screwed. people have asked us to make a cereal called frankenberries <laughs> oh, it's, it's canon now on, the, on this podcast this is have, a great presentation we gotta have i frank really loved how much interaction and different people were involved in it yeah that's one of the things we we wanted to do is we wanted to we always try and highlight you know different cast members or, or team members to be a part of the show do different segments, you know, present different things and, and show that it's not just one or two people uh, at the face of the company because it's not. We're a team. There's no one over others. We're just, we all work together. Um, so we try and do that, really. How how do you guys actually record? I'm curious. Like, how do you guys record this? Like, is it, are you all in, like, something like this, what we're on right now? Or 
we uh, how does that we, all work out? We pretty much leave it to whomever is in each segment. Uh, you when the when the script goes out, I write the script and I send out an email and be like, here's the script, here's the segments, you know, for recording. Get with your partner. It's it's not all done in one shot. Uh, and most of it is, you know, just get on a call and record. I like my my things with Jeff. Jeff was recording, but but he he could only record so and use his phone so i was stuck on the phone with him so while i was recording my lines i had my phone up to my ear listening to him while recording through the computer um so we did that so we could play off each other uh sometimes if they just you know schedules don't mesh you'll just record you know we use audacity they'll just record on their own and then our uh our editor will piece it all together that's cool so it's nice. all independent because juggling six seven people all, everyone all together is a nightmare because we're all so busy. So it's like, just do it on your own time. And yeah. do, we, we do multiple takes so that the editor can, can feast. And usually the first take is more like reading it verbatim from the script. And then the second tape, you know what to expect. You loosen up a bit. Gotcha. That makes sense. Fun. Well, uh, what's the down low on the uh, most recent direct? Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Uh, so we've got several games. We, we, first off, we talked about series, uh, four that all our series four titles are in hand, which includes Rain in Your Parade, which you guys did coverage for. Uh, Wonderling DX and Rack and Ruin, they're all in hand and shipping. Um, production for series five is underway, and we should hopefully have them very soon, which is, you know, Raji, uh, They Bleed Pixels, Love 3, and Eagle Island Twist, as well as our PlayStation series one. Uh, those are in production as well, so hopefully we have those soon. And that is Phenotopia and uh, a Music Racer Ultimate right now. All those are still available. Uh, you could still order them on the website. So definitely check those out. But then, of course, we talked Series 6, which a lot of people have been speculating. What's it coming? What's going on with it? And uh, two, two new Switch games are coming out in Series 6. Uh, the first of which uh, is going up in two weeks. And that is Wife Quest. And Wife Quest is a game from Pippin Games in East Asia Soft. It is an action adventure. And we were talking about RPG elements. RPG elements are in this game. Very good RPG elements. It's got a great upgrade system, you know, a progression, challenging levels, challenging bosses. The bosses are, are really tough and they get progressively more you know, harder. Uh, it's like a Mega Man style system where you beat a boss, you gain power, and then you can use that to backtrack and go into other you know, previous levels to collect more things. It is a very, very comedic story where you play the titular wife, Mia, who is on a quest to save her husband, Fernando, from all the women creatures that want him for themselves. And, uh, you know, the, the cool thing is, is you can not only just defeat enemies as you go through, but you could do finishing moves on the enemies where you can strangle them, you can rip their wings off, you can break their backs, you can break their legs, and you just you kill them in very comedic, brutal ways. But it's all fantasy violence, so it's all, all good. Uh, ton of fun. This is a game that I got for Nintendo Fuse to review when it came out. And after playing two levels, I called up East Asia Soft, and I was like, we need more codes for the team. I would like to do this physical. And uh, really glad that it all came about and we were able to make it happen because this is this is one of those titles where it, at first glance, you might be like, this looks silly. But when you play it, it's like, this is amazing. Uh, it's modern retro done right. And we're, we're really happy to be bringing that out. Again, yeah, that one, standard retro. As well. That one definitely caught my attention uh, watching it direct, like just 
the story is what's really funny there. Yeah, like that's that's really what kind of draws you and not necessarily in my mind a gameplay. It's more so like you're playing a wife trying to save this guy from evil women, basically yeah. like that. Yeah. Just yeah, that kind of caught me immediately. I'm like, yeah, this is one to play. Oh, yeah. sure. And if you like 2D action adventure style games of uh, platforming and stuff, you'll really yeah. like it. It controls mm -hmm. really well and it there's a lot of hidden secrets and hidden rooms and, you know, it's. And it gives you at the end of the level, it gives you like your progression, things you've missed and stuff. And so you can go back. But uh, yeah, it's tough. It has unlockable modes as well when you beat it. But it is it is an awesome game. So we're really happy to be working with them. And then the second game for the Switch, which goes on for pre-order uh, tomorrow as of the time of recording. So it'll probably be up by the time this goes out, uh, is Super Dungeon Maker, which we are so thrilled to be bringing out. This is the Zelda maker that we all wanted Nintendo to make. They refused to make it. So, you know, the, the wonderful team over at Fire Chick and Roca Play said, fine, we'll do it ourselves. The whole Thanos. Uh, that's exactly what they did. This game is like infinite A Link to the Past or Minish Cap style dungeons. Uh, you can you get there's a bunch that are made by Roca Play that you could just play as you explore the little overworld you get. Um, on top of that, you can create your own and you can do small dungeons you could do huge dungeons you could go up to seven floors in a dungeon oh you, wow yeah each unlike like link's awakening where it's like squares every room is a square you draw whatever shape you want you draw the room so you can make it a diamond a star a square a you whatever whatever you, your heart contends uh you can change the doors to be standard doorways you can make it so you have to defeat all the enemies to unlock it you could make them key doors you could do the boss key door you could put bosses, you know, wherever you want. You could put traps where you walk in and spawns enemies. You could make treasure chests spawn when the enemies die. You could do everything you normally would like to do with Zelda. You could do it where, because you have the floors where you could fall down from one floor onto the, the, the ground and another floor. Uh, just really have some fun with it. And the creator is very easy to use. Uh, and then, of course, you can play community dungeons. So this game has been out for over a year on Early Access and Steam. This is cross-play, so there's already so many dungeons of varying you know, difficulties and quality that you could already play. Just like Mario Maker, you can get a dungeon that's absolutely terrible, and you can get one that's like 40 minutes to an hour of mind-bending puzzles that's expertly crafted. And uh, and it's just a lot of fun. You can challenge your friends. Different, different, you, know, you get the code when you make a dungeon. You could say, hey, put this in and play. Uh, it's, it's awesome. And... I have a question on this yeah. one. Yeah. So uh, I, I wasn't sure, or maybe I missed it during the trailer, but like in Zelda, obviously a lot of dungeons are like, this is the boomerang dungeon or the bow dungeon or whatever. So like, do you have all kinds of like different equipment that you like limit the player to go through? And then you can build like a sequence of dungeons so that they kind of like start off with only like few <clears throat> items and get more. So the dungeons, they're, they're, they haven't made the World Maker yet. They're talking about doing it. Uh, they want to see how well it goes. It's a small team. It's you know, just a few people. Um, but the way it works is every dungeon, you start off with your sword, and that's it. Every okay. dungeon. So it's up to the creator to put in as many extra items as they want. The shield, the rock's feather, the hook shot, bombs, whatever. So you could get a dungeon that has a bunch of different 
equipment or you can get a dungeon where the whole time all you have is a sword very um, cool so you have to play based on that and of course with bombs you got bombable walls you have the little crack you can see and hook shot of course and you 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 would make the dungeon to utilize the stuff or not i mean that's up to you so that's what's really neat about it so every dungeon and if you say i want to make a super powered like end game zelda dungeon you can have the starting room just have chests with all the equipment and give them to them right away and then say you're going to need all these kind of deal or you can make them have to go down different corridors and be you know, a basement to find the bombs and then come backtrack to where they need it and you just have fun with it and that's that's the beauty of it uh, yeah, this, this looks like such a good game to like really invest a lot of time into Mm-hmm. Now it's neat is this this game is isn't even digitally out yet. It comes out May third, so our pre-orders actually go up first, and we're gonna do our best to to get it out there as soon as possible. Of course, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom drops in May as well. So right after you guys finish and everyone finishes Tears of the Kingdom, this is a perfect way to go right back into Zelda and uh, 2D Zelda, and we're excited to see what people craft. You know, and we want people to share their dungeon codes and absolutely want people to be involved. And there's already a community that does that with Roka Play, and we absolutely want to work with them to expand that community. Uh, it's just it's just an awesome title, and I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. Uh, this is this is like almost a dream one for me because of, mm-hmm. I'm such a huge Zelda fan. And, uh, you know, and I, since it's obviously coming to the Switch, um, you know, it's been approved by Nintendo. That kind of tells me Nintendo has no plans for a Zelda maker anytime soon because they approved this. So yeah. uh, so this is it. This is your Zelda maker. Uh, and uh, we'll be, the, you know, be able to give you a physical, of course, standard and retro. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's an awesome title. And uh, then we're going with uh, we did. And that's another NES game. So we did Orbody Binder's Tale before. Uh, which was very successful. So now we have a second NES title called Bobby 6-7 Time Traveling Detective, where you have to go through multiple different eras in this 2D action platformer that runs on the NES. It is an NES game to stop the evil half-man, half-fish from turning all the traffic lights green. That is his evil evil dude, uh, you know, duty out there and his, his deed. And you've got to try to stop him while trying not to lose your job. Uh, this is just a fun game from Cal Games. Uh, Clay, the developer, is an awesome guy. Uh, passion project of his, and it's great to be able to work with him to bring out a physical version. And our physical version actually has some exclusive items that is not available on the because the, the, there's a ROM you could download because it's an aftermarket game um, that's not going to be available in that ROM. It's exclusive to our physical version, so we got some really cool stuff. Uh, so if you're an NES collector, if you like playing in the NES, this is a brand new NES game for the system playable right on your gray toaster uh so we're really happy to uh be bringing this one out as well that's going up in four weeks i think will it be compatible with things like aftermarket consoles like the retron or do you don't know yeah it should be but i'm not sure i I know know retron's like picky yeah retron's picky because it uses like it has to have the rom in there so if they load the rom it might work but it might not be the exclusive version Mm. Uh, but it, it would it would work with like analog for example with being gotcha. that runs off of the cart um so those are the the big ones and then we did a couple others we gave an update on sunshine anthology which is our compilation of camp sunshine and sunshine manor from fossil games uh we're still w- waiting for the final port of both games before we actually put up the physical but they they should have at least one of the ports in hand right now um on the running on the switch 
And once they have that all done and they, they can release it and we get the word, we're, we're going to go ahead. But we're stuck waiting on them. So it's not us, it's them. Um, but can't wait. People have been asking for that for years. And then, of course, a Kickstarter going on right now as we speak. Chadtronics Poglings. We are uh, working with Chadtronic to get uh, his Kickstarter off the ground. And it didn't just get off the ground. It soared. It's uh, almost six times the uh, original asking price at this point. And uh, we're, we're happily doing the physical, which is going to have a Kickstarter exclusive uh, version of the physical. So if you're interested in that, the only way to get it is through the Kickstarter. The plushie that is being offered is also through us, and that is an exclusive color. The yellow color is exclusive to the Kickstarter. Uh, at a later time when the game is done, we will have standard and retro versions on our website that will be different than the Kickstarter one, as well as other plushie colors for Poglings, um, but not the Kickstarter yellow. So that's going on right now. It's got like 25 days left as of the, the recording, so definitely... Uh, give him some love, give him some support, and support the physical. We would really appreciate that. Uh, and this way you get a Kickstarter exclusive. Uh, and the last thing was our one more thing, our hype button, which uh, was a game that actually was supposed to be part of Series 6. We just weren't able to seal the deal in time because we don't want to rush our developers and we don't want to rush our designers because we used all different artwork and our pieces and uh, so it's been moved to Series 7, but that is a game called Anuchard, Anuchard from Freedom Games. This is a quirky Zelda-style top-down action RPG with the the story and the writing is equivalent to like the Mother series. It is very funny. It's got a great art style, fantastic soundtrack, and uh, it's one of those where I hadn't heard of it before talking with, with Freedom Games. I'm so happy to be working with them. And ever since then, we've gotten messages like, oh, you know, I just saw like a top 10 Zelda style games and Anuchard was number one. And, that, and I'm so glad you announced it. And, uh, we look forward to, you know, being able to talk more about that, uh, you know, when Series 7 launches. Uh, but we're happy to be able to express like this is coming. This is an awesome one. And we're, we're happy to have it. Yeah, Ryan, I immediately messaged Barry right after watching the direct when I saw that hit. I was like, this looks badass. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, that's, I'm pretty stoked for that one. All right, cool. Barry, thanks for the update. Always appreciate uh, learning about the directs and, and really just kind of hearing all the back end details too that we don't always necessarily get on the direct. So it's cool to kind of get that every time that you come on. Um, so this week, uh, our articles that we're going to cover are not necessarily articles, but stories, really, right? Uh, there are insiders that believe the PlayStation Q-Lite handheld should be around $200. So if you didn't know about that, Sony appears to be re-entering the handheld market. Uh, a U.S. senator recently asked a, the Sony CEO to reveal PlayStation's game exclusivity deals. And uh, then also Nintendo is escalating its war on popular Zelda YouTubers uh, behind the multiplayer Breath of the Wild mod. So our first one here is the PlayStation Q-Lite, and that's obviously a code name. Uh, this was Avinash uh, Jasrani of Tech4Gamers that's covering this. And really, it just kind of goes into detail on, you know, what they're kind of anticipating this to be. It's supposed to be more of a cloud-based uh, console, handheld console that would link within Bluetooth and Wi-Fi type, you know, range uh, to your PlayStation 5. So not truly like a get out in you know get out of a house and have something to play it's with. It's a this remote is, play device. Basically. Yeah. And so the big thing that people are, are kind of bringing up is like well i can remote play on my phone with a playstation controller so why do i need this in particular 
Um, the way I kind of see it is if this is built specifically to work with the PlayStation 5, it's almost like, I don't want to say it, but I do want to say it, it's almost like their answer to the Switch, right? Like, mm. hey, somebody wants to use a TV. You want to keep playing your game. Okay, cool. I can I can take this and continue playing my game. Or, oh, I need to go to the bathroom, right? Because we all do that anyways. Let me continue playing my game in the bathroom. Oh, I want to go upstairs. I'm getting ready to go to sleep soon, but I want to finish up this level. Let me take this with me, go upstairs, finish playing my game, and so on. So that's kind of how I envision this. But a lot of people are slamming even a $200 price point in that it's not like it's got a crazy bunch of tech. It's not running anything specifically. It's just kind of connecting one device to the other. So people are like $200, really? Like that seems a little steep for something of its nature. I mean, but I guess it depends on the control component, right? Like what are you getting with that? Are you getting all of the dual sense yeah, type you stuff are. within that control? And if you are, then I would say then it probably is worth 200 at that point. Yeah, because those controllers are like 70 bucks at least. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah, they are. And then you want to throw an eight inch OLED in there or LCD, I guess, not OLED. So, I mean, it's not even OLED. Like, I guess they're keeping the price down wherever they can. But, I mean, just the limit capacity of it is what drives me crazy. Like, when they tried to do the Microsoft one that came out like a few months ago, the G Cloud or whatever, like, people slam that too because it's just cloud. Like, People love the Steam Deck because it runs their entire freaking Steam library native. Like, that's what people want. Like, battery life be damned. They want to be able to take it with them and not have to connect to the internet. And I just don't see this being something that's going to really hit home with enough people to be viable. I mean, they were already, you know, talking about poor, disappointing sales for the PSVR 2 compared to what their original projections were. So now you're telling me for the whole host suite and to have their ideal version of the home setup, I need to pay like $1,300 for everything now? I, I don't see this fitting into many people's lifestyle in a way that's convenient, especially because like they show um, the backbone controller all over the place now, which is you know, just wraps around your phone and basically creates the same device, but that's a hundred bucks. So for half the price of what they're talking about, you've got it on your phone and you could play the same thing, basically. Not only that, but how many people have their phone on them? You know, this is now another device you need to carry with you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's a novel idea, but I almost feel like Sony is, is kind of taking a page from Google where they create things just to let them die. I mean, the the iToy, the PS3 Move, you know, the the PS4 camera, the PS5 camera. Does anyone remember that the PS5 launched with an extra camera that you what? could buy? That, that is still sitting on my TV because I bought it thinking I was going to need it with VR2. And it's not used for VR2. And there's no application that uses it. And I look at it every time I look up at my TV going, what is the purpose of this device? To spy but, on you. But they released a, v, a PS5 digital camera, like a webcam. And it was like, why? So, you know, you mentioned the VR2 sales have, have been lackluster. And, and people still can't get PS5s. Mm -hmm. I think they should focus on getting more PS5s out there for people. Now, if you need to go to the bathroom, like... First off, you could pause your game, right? It, you, you're not I don't know, Barry. That I, visual novel, if it's really popping, you know, I got to keep up with it. I, I, I can pause it. I can pause it. But even still, 
like if you want to go to bed and finish a level, that thing better turn off your PS5 or it's going to be blowing all night. And those, those things get hot. You don't want it sitting running all night long like that. And if it can't do that or you have some interference, I mean, you're talking wireless. How many other wireless devices do we all have in the house? And is there going to be any interference? And then, of course, the Switch exists. There's so many games that are also on the Switch that if you really are in a situation where you can't use the TV consistently, then you know what? You play the Switch version of them so that you can be more mobile. I, I don't see this. I see the diehard Sony fans going crazy for it, of course. But that's the minority of people. I, I see it as being a really hard sell because even with the Vita, you know, the Vita, they tried with the remote play and all that stuff. And it was novel and it was great, but it didn't save the Vita. The Vita still died. And the Vita actually was a proprietary handheld device with dedicated games. And this, exclusive titles. Exclusive titles, yeah. This this is this is just like, look, we're copying Nintendo again. And and uh yeah, it's not as good, but please give us money. Anything yeah. Anything that you could only play on this device, I would argue is a game that you wouldn't want to play on this device. Like do you want to play God of War on, you know, a screen this big? Like, <laughs> no. I don't really think so. Like, I think you want your big TV to show off all the beauty and the 4K, you know, HDR and all that. Like, are you really going to be getting that experience out of an 8-inch LCD? No, no of course hey, not. No. Just, w- just wait, guys. You're going to be able to wirelessly connect to your ps5 and then stream it to another tv in your household that's the kicker right i'm just kidding i don't know if that's true well and nobody will be able to use the ps5 like that's the thing like good thing that we all have like super smart tvs now because otherwise nobody can use that tv if you're using that because all the media streaming services are on the ps5 yeah yeah now now here's the one one thing they didn't talk about which is really cool is that it's going to be compatible with PSVR 2 games, but the way to do it is you need to have Google Cardboard and put this device in Google Cardboard <laughs> up to your head, and you're going to get PSVR 2 streaming capabilities. And right? you have to hold it, and you have to hold it like this. Yeah, yeah. While, yeah. while you're playing, yeah. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Yeah, like I, I'm a I, I'm a diehard Sony fan, and this is absolutely not on my list of things to buy in 2023 <laughs> and beyond. They could yeah. market like a really sweet like submarine periscope game. <laughs> <laughs> this is one that, and again. Again, like I'm a diehard handheld collector and stuff. And even I'm like with that, it'd be like, you know what? I'll get it when it gets discontinued yeah. and I'll get it for the sake of putting it on display as a failure from Sony. It yeah. might be <laughs> right next to your PS5 camera. Yeah. yeah. Which well, that's actually hooked up onto my TV. I just have no, no idea why it even exists, why they even made that at launch, but it does exist. Maybe it'll be like one of those situations where there will be a sweet period of time kind of like the uh what was it the PSTV like the Vita accessory yep one like that was super cheap and then everybody realized that it was like the best exploit thing ever and now they're like expensive and hard to find it's like these things will bottom out somebody will figure out how it's actually the best thing ever for just like emulation cuz it's got a screen and a controller and they found out you could just like solder in a USB stick to it now you've got games or whatever <laughs> Yeah, but do we need another emulation handheld? There's like a billion of them. 
Yeah. Uh, you know what? The only one that's done it right is Soldier Boy. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Soldier game. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's dive into our next topic here. So a U.S. senator has asked Sony, uh, the Sony CEO, to reveal PlayStation's game exclusivity deals. This is Chris Scullion at Video Games Chronicle. But if I'm going based on Brian's notes, it's uh, Video Games Critical. Yep. Um, so... <laughs> Let's. So this is Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, on the U.S. and uh, he pretty much sent out a uh, a letter to Yoshida saying that he needs the following unredacted copies of all agreements that give Sony an exclusive right to distribute a third party game. All agreements between Sony and third party publishers that prevent them from releasing their games on other systems. All internal company documents describing the strategic rationale for Sony's decision to acquire Bungie. All correspondence with U.S. government or regulatory agencies relating to video game competition. So, quite a lot going there. Um, you know, part of me like agrees with this, but the other part of it is also a U.S. senator trying to protect U.S. investments, and that being Microsoft, based on it being a U.S. company. So, I don't know how much of it I, I take as like you know this being a genuine, hey, what's going on between Microsoft and Sony, and is this truly? let's go against Sony because of the following, or is this, I'm a U.S. Senator, I'm trying to protect U.S. interests, and I'm going to reach out to try and get all this information about Sony because an American company is threatened. So <clears throat> that's kind of the uh, the view I had on this. Um, but it's interesting to note in North Dakota, apparently, like this Senator is stating that like North Dakota is gonna be like a hub for like the gaming industry and that there's thousands of jobs that are gonna be opened up because of gaming. And he sees this as um, really destroying competition in the market, I guess, Sony's practices and how that's going to be, you know, bad for North Dakota, really. So, I mean, he's kind of looking out for his citizens as well. Um, so, Barry, any have you taken a look at this one or had you heard about this? Uh, I hadn't heard about this, but it really doesn't surprise me. And I think you're right. I think it's protecting American interests, American jobs, American companies. And uh, we all know that practices under the table practices between companies there's a lot that we don't don't know about but a lot of it isn't good i mean look, even nintendo did it back in the day in the nes with the chip the lockout chip where there was proprietary and you had to go through them and uh they did that for a reason they 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 had a lot of those type of rules and restrictions even couldn't put out so many games and that's why you know konami made ultra and atari tengen and stuff like that uh so Nintendo's not excused of it, but Sony lately has absolutely come out as like the bully has been like they, they're very egotistical. They've always been egotistical. They feel that they're absolutely the best on the market. They actually spur the console wars. I don't know if you saw this article or not, but it came out in a patent that over the last decade uh, in patents that Sony has filed, they have thrown shade at both Microsoft and Nintendo hidden in their patents. But if they, you know, if you use the legal PDF form, you don't see those insults. And it's like, how petty do you have to be to kind of put these little jabs in your patents? So it's, it's definitely Sony feeling they are the best and they will absolutely do things to crush. If they could push a button right now and it would instantly blow up Microsoft and instantly blow up Nintendo, they would absolutely push that button where Microsoft and Nintendo will both say how competition is good for the industry, support one another, and will not push that button at all. Um, now, that's not to say that you know companies 
don't want success. They absolutely want to be the top dog, but they also know that you don't destroy other companies. You don't put other companies down and you don't do things that are unethical against one another. And for the most part, they succeed, those two. There's still some questionable things, of course, and there's always going to be questionable things, but they don't have the ego that Sony does. You know, Nintendo marches to the beat of their own drum they have for years, and Microsoft is too busy buying companies to pay attention. Sony is always the one. We, we need this exclusive here. We need this exclusive here. And, you know, the, you have to only work with us. And look at Final Fantasy 16, for example. Only can run on a, on a PS5 when the Xbox Series X is technically more powerful. How could it only run on a PS5? That That's asinine to me. It, it well, can absolutely... It'll be on PC a year later. Yes. So of it's, that means it's bullshit. It's a timed exclusive. Fine. Say it's a timed exclusive, but don't say it can only run on PS5 because that's absolutely not true. So and that and that's a Japanese company yeah. backing another Japanese company for yeah. Japanese interests. I mean, is when when you kind of look at it, that's what that is. Well, Japan approved the Microsoft Blizzard deal, and I don't see how they could really object. Like with Sony's dominance, like they'd be like, we can't really actually hold microsoft back from doing this like there there is no competition here yeah i mean that's and that's got to be the mindset there too right like well we don't want to look at it or appear as like we're only backing sony so they have to kind of back microsoft but you know the japanese companies are going to support the japanese companies and that's yeah. one of the reasons microsoft has struggled so mightily in japan and and obviously the consumer base too i mean they're you know nintendo and sony are kind of the homegrown companies, right? So if I'm a Japanese consumer and the pride that I have in those companies, I'm going to support Japanese companies over Microsoft. It's just how it is. And that's the instance here. You've got an American company in Microsoft and you've got a, a Republican U.S. Senator. And honestly, there's Democratic senators as well. Um, it goes later in the article to state that uh, in the last month, there's been two letters, one from four Republican members of Congress, the other from six Democrats that have accused Sony of deliberately making exclusivity deals with third party publishers to ensure that Xbox doesn't gain foothold in Japan. And that honestly, I would not be surprised if that is the case, you yeah. know, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, you've literally got Democrats and Republicans that are on both sides trying to protect U.S. interests, obviously. Yep. Yeah. So it is interesting. I will say uh, the last thing on this is that it is like addressed to Yoshida and I've seen like Jim Ryan's name more over all of the other articles going around like the purchase. Cause he's the one like speaking out for like Sony America and like the getting caught quoted, you know, like we just want to block your deal. I don't want your 10 year Xbox or whatever he said. Like, well, I think Jim Ryan's more of like the figurehead right now or like that voice. And you kind of need that from a, a global basis, right? Mm -hmm. Like English is definitely a language that's a little more common on a global basis than Japanese, just to be honest. So if you've got Jim Ryan as kind of that, that point, that main point of contact that makes a little more sense from a global basis to have him as that individual, but calling out the CEO is obviously calling out the CEO. So I yeah. think that that's important to kind of note there too. So, all right. Uh, speaking of getting called out. Yeah. Speaking of war. So <laughs> Nintendo escalates the war on popular, or popular Zelda YouTuber behind the multiplayer Breath of the Wild mod. And this is Ethan Gak at Kotaku. So uh, really, so the YouTuber here is uh, Eric Point Crow. Uh, is a YouTuber and basically he does speed runs. He does, uh, you know, on mod like speed runs of mods and such, and just really kind of covers Zelda content in general. And so Nintendo recently flagged 
Uh, it says that he has 28 flags and strikes that have or claims and strikes that have hit his channel over Nintendo content. And he's just like, stop. Like, can you guys please stop flagging this content? Like we're trying to support Zelda. We're trying to, you know, bring like put more noise in the market on Zelda products. And you're, you know, striking us on every single thing that comes out. Um, so you know, Barry, uh, you know, I'm, I know you guys do some streaming and stuff with premium edition games. Like what's your opinion on in general, the streaming of content like this and, you know, is Nintendo overreacting or is Nintendo just doing what Nintendo does? And that's like protect their IP to no end. Nintendo, they, they want to protect their IP, but they absolutely overreact. This is advertisement. This was the whole thing when they 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 was they had this war on YouTubers, and then they did like the YouTube content creators thing. And look, it's advertisement. Okay, anytime someone is streaming your game or talking about your game, like right now, we are actually advertising for Nintendo, and Nintendo is not cutting us a check. We are advertising because we're talking about the company. We're talking about Zelda. We're mentioning Zelda here in this because these are content creators for Zelda, which someone listening goes, oh, yeah, Tears of the Kingdom comes out next month. Boom, advertisement that they get for free. It's so silly to stop that. Now, if someone's making millions of dollars on their game, absolutely, I see them coming in and saying, whoa, hold on. Your your content is just streaming our game and you're making millions of dollars, we want a cut of it. I get that, and I can say that is understandable because they provided the content. If this is a uh, YouTuber that's making 100 bucks, whatever, they're advertising. Put that in your marketing budget. It's like you're paying them $100, in a sense, for them to advertise your game for you. People do it all the time. That's, that's marketing. They, they send review copies of their games to to review sites for the purpose of reviewing and advertising and showing off and talking about their games. So think of it that way. That's that's what you have to think of. They're smaller, sure, let them have it, let them get whatever they get because they're they're advertising your product. Now, if they're advocating for a mod that they do not want, I can see them going after saying we don't want this mod shown because we do not like this mod. Now, there's multiple reasons why they would do something like this. One, maybe they have their own internal mod going, or maybe that's an internal feature of Tears of the Kingdom that they don't want ruined. We don't know. Look at uh, AM2R, where they shut that down because they literally had their own Metroid 2 remake coming out right after. Uh, And again, there's a conflict of interest. I get it. Um, What they should do is say, like, we, we just, you know, first off, if they're a small enough company, just let it go. Or say, look, we just really don't want you showing off this mod because we do not want people hacking our games. And and just be be nice about it. Be like, yeah. look, I'll be trying to be understand. They're, they're people. Or or just, you know, in general, just have them any monetization as types. So this guy has like 1.6 million subscribers, right? So obviously he's going to get some money that's coming from him. So just demonetize it. Allow the guy to continue putting the content out there, but demonetize. And at the end of the day, by demonetizing a person, is there any incentive to show these types of videos? Absolutely not, because they're not making any money off of it. So they're going to go a different route in general, naturally, well, because they're demonetized. But they're still showing a mod that they may not they want are. people to see. Yeah, and in those instances, like you said, hey, reach out, maybe a cease and desist. Like, this is something that we do not appreciate. We don't want it out there, blah, 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 blah. But like a general speed run, for example, I could see that as like, why Nintendo? Yeah. 
You oh know, yeah, like there's no point. I mean, it's just about terms of service, right? So if you play in, in, in like an MMO, for example, uh, you have to sign a terms of service. So if you're playing the MMO and you're streaming the MMO and you're doing hard content, they don't care. Sometimes they'll even feature you. But if you're sh- if you're showing your screen and you've got mods all over and you've got parsers up and you've got things that are against terms of services and maybe you've given graphical patches and they can see that they're going to tell you to take that down because they're not going to advocate for that because those are those are things that go against their own terms of service that you agree to. So they probably look at this as like a terms of service. Like our terms of service is you got to play the game the way we released it. And what you're doing is you're modding it and adding in features that we did not approve of. And that's yeah, totally he, understandable. He outlines that in his response video here, actually, um, Eric does. So he points out that like when you get the game, it has that like terms of service on there that says like you won't modify this. It also says you won't stream this or like show it to other people in that way. And then there's kind of the broader Nintendo like community guidelines and agreement that they have that kind of supersedes and in boxes that like internal like just the packaging of the game one so because people do stream and stuff and it's 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 a good thing that they can't apply this unilaterally because it would suck for what happened to him to happen to like everybody especially even smaller content creators but like that's the thing like people will put up videos you know of whatever they love for no money for a long time and then once the money comes in all of a sudden that's when it's the problem but by that point they've done so much work and put so much of themselves into it people aren't watching this guy because he's the only person and the only way that they can watch zelda stuff they're watching him because they love him and what he does and what how he transforms the content so and and let's they just, just don't you know, respect that. And let's look at, you know, this part two. So he says that they nuked 10 of his streams. Two of them uh, were videos that he just, that the removed felt the face of the platform. And he says, no answer, no context, just a copyright removal. Only one of the videos uh, had nothing to do with mods. It was a Zelda challenge run. So I think, you know, when you kind of look at it in this respect too, he says, to be clear, I've never encouraged piracy of Nintendo games. He said, the mods I've commissioned are not being sold and all of the code is custom, meaning they are free of Nintendo assets. So, Barry, back to your point, you know, he's obviously got mods in game. Nintendo, you know, doesn't want those mods to be out there. It's not how the game is meant to be played. It's exactly. not how it should be played. So, you know, honestly, like, is Nintendo overreacting? A lot of times they do. In this instance, you have a YouTuber who's actively got mods of a game in market. I could totally see Nintendo's point to be like, hmm, no, take it off. He does have a point, though. He says one of them was a Zelda challenge run that had nothing to do with mods. That's an instance where Nintendo is overreacting. But you know what? The guy, say he has 10 videos that are mods and one of them is not a mod video. Nintendo is going to flag them all. Exactly. And blanket it. You know, it makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. that that was just, uh, you know, an innocent bystander. It was guilty by association. Exactly. Because they're not watching all this. They're not going to sit there and watch. They're going to say, oh, he's got mods. He's got mods. He uploaded 10 videos. Uh, You said just flag them all. Just assume they're all and boom easier said than done yeah so i mean and this is an instance where maybe the creator is in the wrong here nintendo does overreact and they do all the time but i think in this instance you do have a creator who might be in a little bit in the wrong so all right uh so let's dive into uh our inflation deflation a week uh barry i don't know if you've played this one it sounded like you might have but 
uh, Tenchu Z on the Xbox 360. It's developed by K2 LLC. It was published by Microsoft Game Studios, directed by uh, Kyoji Tomita. Released in June of 2007, it is an action-adventure stealth game. Reception is around the 5 out of 10 range. And then from a plot perspective, the house of Goda, where the Azuma ninja clan resides under the service of Lord Goda, is on the brink of war with a neighboring country of Ogawada. As a new recruit of the Azuma ninja clan, the protagonist is sent to assassinate those who are assisting the country of Ogawada, including the army generals and spies who have infiltrated the house of Goda, as well as recover stolen items and rescue prisoners uh, in between thwarting the country of Ogawara's plans. Uh, so one thing to note here um, with this plot is it has nothing to do with any of the other Tenshu games. Uh, there's no tie-in whatsoever to the old games other than uh, you do have a couple of the characters from the prior games that are, you know, that's participate, I guess you could say, within the game itself. But there's nothing story-wise that ties anything together here. Um, so Ryan, you know, in my opinion, when playing this game, it felt like I was playing in HD version of Tenchu. That's really what it kind of came down to. There was nothing different from what we experienced in playing Tenchu 1 other than... Tenchu 2. Uh, or Tenchu 2, yeah. Other than smoother controls, right? Uh, because of what you're playing, the controls are still janky uh, compared to what Tenchu 2 is. Um, but it's, it's basically an HD version. There's a few different elements, like if you jump into a cesspool you smell of a cesspool and enemies can find you there's cool elements where like if you walk too fast like a puddle of water or you hit certain things on the ground um the enemies will notice you right off the bat but i think control wise it played in my opinion just like tenchu 2 um story wise it felt just like tenchu 2 going for missions and, and moving forward as you normally would and uh, you know it was just the same gameplay so i, I don't think that there was nothing here that was like groundbreaking compared to what had already been released in the Tenchu games. And I think that's probably where the reception, you know, that five out of 10 comes into play. Um, I personally don't think it's a five out of 10. I think it's probably a little bit higher just given that, you know, it's, it's still Tenchu. It's still the great stuff you love. It's kind of looking at from the mindset of like, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, and there's nothing broken about this game in any capacity in my mind. Um, so I, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, a little bit that we played, uh, it does have a little more blood uh, than the prior Tenchu's, which is nice. Um, it does have that stealth that I absolutely love. And it's mission-based, which is just, you know, very easy to kind of pick up and play and, and move on to the next thing. So what was uh, your, your thought as well? Oh, man. So I did not remember a whole lot about Tenchu 2. But man, Tenchu Z was not the game for me, man. I just <laughs> trying to do the tutorial and remember all the like different punting combinations and just like what to like, I don't know. Stealth games are just not my bag. And like once the stealth is blown, it just didn't really have good feeling to like the combat. Like I feel like a lot of close combat games suffer from not great feeling of close combat and like weapon fighting. And it just really felt like just like i don't know i can just mash this and attack everything like what am i even doing stealthing here and i'm sure that it's very necessary for like the later game or, or you know like to get objectives done and things like that and being forced into that bubble with the jank and not really good alternatives 
it, it just makes it so that it's not really for me, I think. So I bounced off it pretty hard, and I could definitely see a lot of the five out of teniness involved. Yeah, I mean, Tenchu is the stealth component is one of those like it's kind of like uh, Ghost of Tsushima, right? Like there's stealth elements in in Ghost of Tsushima, and like that's you know something that you benefit from obviously if you go forward with it, but you don't have to do it to complete the game, right? Like you can just go balls to the wall, like slashing everything, and you can in this too, but. It's more so, I think the coolness factor is what they're kind of wanting there, right? Like the different types of stealth kills that you get yeah. uh, with Entenshu. Like, that's what you kind of aim for when you play these games. Like, oh, I can be super stealthy. I can get these cool stealth kills. And that's that's what you're supposed to be doing, right? Like, that's just what it's how it's meant to be played. It's not meant to be a hack and slash. And so yeah. if you're not a fan of, like, stealth style games, you're just not honestly going to be a really big fan of Tenshu. Um and for me, though, uh, also, like, when it's mission-based like this, it's hard to really get into stories on mission-based games. Like, there's 50 missions in this game. So you're fragmenting, you know, it's not a streamlined... It's a story, right? But it's not like you kind of progress and you progress and you progress and things kind of build on there's anticipation. It's like, oh, I finished my mission. Let me wander around. Let me go to this person. What's my next mission? And just kind of, you know... That to me is not a good way to go about a game like this. I honestly wish it was more so just kind of developing story over time versus missions. Barry, have you have you played this one or no? No, I have not played this one. I like I said I have it, but it's the Tenchu series has never been one I've been big on because I'm not a big stealth guy. I I like I like to prefer to go in. And you you've mentioned like Ghost of Tsushima, and uh, you know that I did some stealth stuff. But if if I got you know, stock where I got cover blowing. I'm like, screw it. And I'm just killing everybody. And it felt so, great. And it felt great. So it's definitely one of those where it's great for people who love stealth. And, and I, I hope it's, I think this was like the last entry game, right? It doesn't like kill the series. Yeah. I don't think there's another one. So I think this is it. Yeah. This is it. So, uh, you know, if that's your jam, then great. You know, I'm sorry to hear that it was rated a five out of ten, but glad that, that you seem to like it, John, and, and that it's better. But you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That doesn't surprise me. A lot of, a lot of companies will do that. Yeah. Cool. So uh let's see, complete in box. We're looking at nineteen thirty-three right now. It peaked at uh twenty-three twenty back in March of this year. It's trending downwards. Uh, loose copy right now will run you 1288. That peaked uh, like just about everything that peaked uh, 1829 in February of last year. Um, and that was actually the highest since uh, uh, one year from launch. Um, and then that's also trending down. It's not available digital um, from what we could see in terms of I digital found console, digital PC. People talking online saying that it was available on the Microsoft store, but then I couldn't find like a link to anything except for like some like dlc or some like wallpaper or something on an old link yeah well so ryan my rating here in terms of inflate or deflate i would say it's just right at 20 bucks i mean that's you know you're getting a tenshu game for 20 dollars. i mean uh, the vast majority of these games are above 20 bucks i mean it's just what it is that's reality of it so at 1933 for complete in box i honestly think that's a pretty good deal for a tenshu game so you're just thinking like in the long run, getting it at that price because it'll be more expensive later on? No, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, more expensive for this game might be like 30 bucks, 
you know, several, I mean, you're talking several years from now, potentially seeing $30 on this game. So it's, it's more so in the mindset of like, if you like Tenchu and, or you just like stealth action games, 20 bucks is not a bad deal for a game that is, you know, very much akin to the original Tenchu series. There's nothing broken about this. And, you know, you're, you're getting a fun game for 20 bucks. I mean, that's just my mindset on it. 50 missions, $20 hours of gameplay. I, I think it's, I don't know. I feel like I've played better games on this show that you've said $20 was too much for. See, this is, this is why I didn't want to just agree to a rating before. Cause I, I got to talk it out sometimes. Like, and I know that it might just be me bouncing off. Like, I feel like we're a group of three people that this isn't necessarily any of our jam, but I mean, there's lots of games that have 50 missions that aren't worth $20, and I don't think that that's really a justification. You could have 100 missions if the missions aren't fun. It doesn't matter. Then it's, yeah. <laughs> then it's more yeah. of a torture. <laughs> and if this is the worst rated Tenchu game, like I don't think that necessarily means that it's going to be like $30 down the road. I don't. Well, I mean, come on, man. We got Color a Dinosaur that's like a one out of ten, and that that thing's like, yeah, you know, crazy. Well, you you can't really compare that apple and oranges. I I know, you know, I know. People weren't collecting video games back then. However, there is something very important that's coming up here in the year 2025. The 360 will be 20 years, which means it hits its 20 year anniversary, and that's usually when we see what I like to call a renaissance when it comes mm-hmm. to prices, because. That means the people who grew up with the 360 as their their first console are now in their 20s. That means they have some disposable income and they absolutely want to relive yeah. the games of their childhood, which drives the price of all those games up. And yeah. here's something to consider here. Tenshu Z, last of the series, right? Not the best of reviews, so didn't sell very well. Exclusive to Xbox 360. Actually, it's not the last one. There was Shadow Assault Tenchu. Oh, what was that on? 360. Okay, I'll have to look into that. That's by From Software. So, but here's something to consider still Xbox 360 exclusive. Yeah. I mean, that's the big thing there, right? And is it available anywhere digitally? If it is not, then. Barry's point. 20 year renaissance. You've got some disposable income. If you want to play a Tenchu game, it's exclusive. It will go up. I mean, so compared to other Xbox 360 titles, like is this a 20 bucks about what you would expect to pay for your like run of the mill? Yeah, I mean, dude, like games like Viva Pinata, I think are like 15 bucks, uh, you know, and those are like okay. mass produced games. So, so I just I guess I was assuming that Xbox 360 was all still like pretty cheap. So I'll, I'll, fine, you convinced me. It's just right, <laughs> folks. It's that, just right. That other game, that other Shadows Tenchu game from From Software, I don't think that was released physically. If it was yeah, I'm I'm looking on eBay right now, and I didn't I, see it. Anywhere. I think it was. I think it's digital only, which of course changes things because digital only titles. You know, it's yeah. not going to be the same value as a physical. Actually, this isn't the worst rated one. It's not even well, the second worst rated and one. And then here's the thing, like, the only other one I could see here is Tenshu Return from Darkness, but that was like a remake, if I recall, on the Xbox. And, oh, funny enough, Activision um, on that one. So okay. Did that one get a physical? Uh, that one did get a physical, but that's on the Xbox, the original. The original, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, man, like, a pre- I'm looking on eBay right now, like a pre-owned copy of complete in box Tenchu Z. Uh, there's a number of listings that are like 1999 plus shipping though. Mm. And like a couple that are $23 free shipping with no manual, uh, $28 free shipping. So, you know, this game is already 
um, in comparison to what we've got here based on average prices, 23 or $19. Yes, that is the sale price. But when you factor in shipping and tax and everything else, you are looking closer to 30 bucks, um, you know, at the end of the day. So I if you think like that, 360 games or stealth games, it's perfect for you. Pick it up for 20 bucks. There's that only exclusive or only on Xbox 360 tag. That's the all important aspect here. That's so. a collectible thing. A lot of people collect just the exclusives. Uh, that's all actually, dude, for 360 and Xbox. That is all I buy is games that are released exclusively on the console. And if games are released later on a PC or um, it was only exclusive to Xbox, but then it came out on like PlayStation 4 later on down the road. Uh, those are games that I don't buy. Um, so I, I'm very much on that point, right? Anything Xbox, it, it must have been an exclusive because I just frankly will play other games on PlayStation 3 or other consoles at that point. Yeah. What about what about when the game is superior on the 360? Ooh. Like Bayonetta, for example, which runs much better than the PS3 version. <laughs> yeah, there's instances where, yes, I will do that. And honestly, like when it comes down, like you had brought up earlier, like Switch, right? And you know, playing a game on Switch because it could be on the go versus PlayStation 4, right? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, the PS4 version is going to be superior to PS5 version is going to be superior to the Switch version, oftentimes, graphically speaking. And so those are instances where if it's on both of those consoles, I will generally buy it on the PlayStation 5 or PlayStation 4. However, platformers, I tend to purchase on the uh, Switch for whatever reason. It's just something... If it's a platformer, I'm buying it on the Switch. But if it's something like Ease 8 and Ease 9, I'm buying it on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 all day long. And see, I, I played it on, on the PlayStation as well. For those, even even Rise of 3 is on the Switch. I am playing it on the PS5 version. However, with a kid on the way, uh, I'll probably be playing more of the Switch versions on those. But other types, like Octopath Traveler 2, I did the Switch version, even though it's on PS4 and 5, simply because I could lie in bed and I could grind a little bit and I could level up. And it's, yeah. the graphics aren't really any different between those two versions anyways. It looks gorgeous on the OLED. Yeah. Barry, with you having a kid on the way, I cannot wait to hear you be like, Yep, I tried to boot up my game and I fell asleep right on the spot. Dude, <laughs> oh, it's... that that already happened just yesterday playing Rise of Three. I was like, oh, my wife walked in, sat down, like, oh, you want to do something? You want to watch TV or something? She's like, oh, maybe in a bit I'm going to take a nap, and she laid down, and I immediately like that looks pretty good, and I just conked out. So <laughs> I, the other night, I had full intentions of sitting back playing some cardio. I sat on the couch. My dog laid down next to me, or one of my dogs. I jumped on my phone because I had to check a couple emails. And next thing you know, I'm knocked out. And or actually, next thing you know, I look at the clock. It's 1030 and I've got the baby moving around the monitor. I'm like, oh, crap. All right. Let me go feed him. So fed him was wide awake, went down and played cardio till midnight and then went to sleep. <laughs> like, it was just it's crazy. But that was like nine o'clock. But that happened. I don't fall asleep at nine o'clock. Apparently now I do. Though. Well, it was four o'clock for me in the afternoon. I fell asleep from four o'clock to like five thirty because she, she passed out and it was like it just like drained me. I was like, oh, OK, I'm going to do it too. <laughs> Yeah, That's just like... wait, dude. Yeah, more of that coming. Yeah, you thought you could play RPGs? Think again. That's all right. I'll find a way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Where there's yeah. a will, there's a way. There is, yeah. Caffeine. Caffeine at midnight. I, I don't even drink coffee. That's the worst part. Uh, you you will now. <laughs> no, I, I got to do it without it. I'll tough it out. <laughs> it's tough, man. Well, uh, Barry, thanks again for coming on. Uh, definitely appreciate having you on uh, every time you're on the show. Uh, so looking forward to appearance number eight in the, in the future. Uh, but this has been, and we're not going to mess it up this time. This has been 
episode 231 of the Game of Players podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And I'm Barry. And thanks for listening. <laughs>